Welcome to the Victory of the Lamb podcast. We are a simple, straightforward Bible teaching church located in Katy, Texas. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to stop by anytime. Otherwise, we hope you use this podcast to grow in your faith and be confident in sharing that faith with many. You can find us online at VOTL.org. We hope you enjoy this message. God bless your week. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours today in abundance as you consider the eternal truth and ramifications about Christ alone for us. Would you please raise your hand if in the past week or two you went back to school? Quite a few kids and a few teachers as well. Now, would you please raise your hand if At some point in your life, you went to school and had a question asked of you. Probably everybody's hand. So go up now. So with school back in session, that impacts a lot of people. And who knows how many questions are asked during one school year of one student or by one teacher. Hundreds, maybe more. How could you even tally up all the questions you were asked when you were in school throughout your life? And yet none of them that will be asked during this school year across America or even the world, and none of those questions that were asked of you or that you asked during your school years, if you're not in school anymore, are as important, valuable, and life-changing as the question and answer, the Q&A, Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. Let's dig in today and understand further What question was asked and why was the answer so important? And what does that mean for us today? Jesus was with his disciples in a place called Caesarea Philippi, not in the Holy Land, but not too far away. And there at the entrance of the town of Caesarea Philippi were two enormous towers. One of them was built to Caesar, the Roman emperor, the one that everybody thought was a god, and so they worshipped him as such. So one tower to the big dog Roman god, Caesar, and the other tower to Zeus, the big dog Greek god. In addition to Caesar and Zeus, there was plenty of room for all kinds of other little gods. Just think of all the different gods people worshipped. The sun, the moon, sex, money, fertility, health, on and on and on and on and on. The implication was, it's important to be religious. If you're smart, you're probably going to worship at least the big Roman god or the big Greek god. But then after that, pick your favorite combination, and you're good no matter what you pick. It's called postmodernism, except it isn't all that new, is it? Because even though today the religious climate often is, pick what you want to believe, throw away what you don't really like, and that's great for you. No one else can ever tell you you're wrong, and that's a bad religion to follow. And yet it was still alive and well 2,000 years ago and even before that. Maybe Jesus was even walking by these twin towers, one to Zeus, the other to Caesar, with all the other little gods around sprinkled in, when he asked his disciples this question, verse 13, 
When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Is he a Greek god? Is he a Roman god? Is he one of the smaller ones? Is he something totally different? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And there was confusion then about who Jesus was as there is now. They said, some say John the Baptist, a powerful preacher who faced adversity and was beheaded a few months ago in prison by King Herod. Others say Elijah, a powerful preacher who faced adversity, ran for his life from the king and queen that were evil, and then went to heaven by God's grace in a whirlwind. Still others, Jeremiah, a powerful preacher who, you guessed it, faced adversity, and after a long, draining, difficult ministry where he was tremendously outnumbered and largely not listened to at all, the Lord took him home to heaven. Or one of the other prophets, safe to say they were probably powerful preachers of God's truth who faced adversity and had it kind of rough. The people thought Jesus was one of those. John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Elijah, raised from the dead. Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets, raised from the dead. To which an obvious question might have been, well, if he's a powerful prophet raised from the dead, then why don't you listen to him? But on from there. Jesus was not listened to. I think it's safe to say most people just assumed as they sized him up. He's a powerful prophet, teacher of the Bible. And he faces a lot of adversity, but that's where they stopped. Now, to be fair, the people on the list that the disciples mentioned, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, they're not slouches. And yet, they're all just guys, just humans. Beggars for grace. People who needed a Savior and had zero ability on their own merit to save anyone or anything, including themselves. So Jesus, after hearing this answer, went on to ask a more pointed question. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, let's drill deeper into how the way they sized Jesus up back then really isn't all that different from the way people and when our sinful natures get the best of us, we size Jesus up Today, Jesus, he's just a good luck charm. Keep a cross in your pocket, make the sign of a cross before you're up to bat or have to do something else important, and then you're good. You'll have a little boost. Is that all Jesus is, a good luck charm? What about Jesus is a life coach? He's Mr. Positivity. He gives you a list of things to do to charge ahead with life and then things go your way more often than not by far. And he's, he blesses people that he likes. If you follow his checklist, he'll like you. Is that all Jesus is? Some kind of life coach? A Mr. Positivity cheerleader? What about Jesus is a generous banker? Meaning, he holds the keys to eternal life and death, and you owe him a lot for your sins, so you've got to pay him back, but don't worry, he'll make the payments doable. 
even though it's going to take a really, 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 really long time to pay him back. Is that all Jesus is? A generous banker? Is Jesus a teammate who does some, even most of the work of saving us from sin, but then we've got to chip in our two cents too, or else it's invalid? Is Jesus like a, a Gandhi, someone who has a heart for the poor and is all about peaceful resistance, but that's kind of where it stops? Dear Christian, Jesus is none of those things. He has a little bit of each quality maybe in there to be dangerous, but he is not just another human being who settles to help us with life on earth. His focus is far bigger than just a few decades of life on earth. It's eternity. And who Jesus is, this unique human being, also God, has everything to do with the most important question you could ever ask or answer. Listen to how Jesus pointed more sharply to his disciples after he asked them, who do people say that I am? Verse 15. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered as their spokesman on behalf of all of them. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're not just a powerful preacher who faced adversity, even though you are a powerful preacher and you face adversity. You're not just someone with a positive message, even though you do have a positive message. And you're not just someone who has good paths to share, even though that's true as well. And you're not just someone with a heart for the poor, even though you do have that. And someone who would rather have peace in the end than war. And, and that's certainly what Jesus would love to have whenever possible, yet he's so much more. He's not just a road to heaven, but there's several other ones too, like Caesar or Zeus or some other combination of one of the other ones. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. No one else has a driver's license or a passport like that. He's the only one. And what a gift for you and me. Because Jesus came all the way from heaven to earth with orders from heaven's throne. Save those enemies. I know they don't deserve it. I know that they're trapped and helpless. They should end up in hell, yes, but save them. Do whatever you can. Pull out all the stops. Live perfectly and don't give in to temptation, not even one inch. Die innocently for all of that sin, that heavy, awful load. You've got to trust me, said the Father to the Son, that I will raise you from the dead when you die with all that sin on your back. And then victory will be ours, and not only ours, but theirs. Anyone who trusts in us, will never be put to shame. They'll never be embarrassed. They'll never think that they've blown it forever. They'll never 
even if they're powerful preachers with successful lives who face adversity, feel like they're kicked to the curb and a loser. The one who trusts in us will never be put to shame because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is active. He is influential. He's powerful. He's compassionate. And he's victorious. No one else like him. Jesus responded to Peter's confession with some bolstering truth that also bolsters us. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Peter did not say, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, because he figured it out. Because he went on a scavenger hunt like a detective, did a, a Sherlock Holmes spiritual scavenger hunt, and then finally arrived at it. No. Peter did not arrive at this conclusion that Jesus was the Christ by flesh and blood, including his own flesh and blood. No one else told him. He didn't figure it out with his mind and heart. God the Father revealed it to him. God the Father pulled back the curtain and said, Ta-da! A Savior for eternity, for you. And that's how Peter grabbed it and trusted it. And now, look at the ramifications of this faith. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah until they had this straight, and then that would be a command to go make disciples of all nations. For now, keep it under wraps. The words bind and loose are words that we never use, really, when we're talking about keys. I bound my house today when I left, and then I loosed it when I got home. We never say that. We say, I locked it when I left, and I unlocked it when I got home. And that's what Jesus is talking about, too. When you tell yourself, Jesus is my Savior, I'm dropping that sin at the cross that otherwise makes me ashamed, you are unlocking the door of heaven for yourself. Or when another Christian tells you that, or if a pastor tells you that, the heaven door is being unlocked for you. He gives us the keys to use. And these keys are so powerful. It's not just that we get to live in a mansion after we unlock the door, or that we get to drive a great car after we turn the key on, but the gates of hell will never overcome what Jesus gives us here, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have something to tell to Satan whenever he tries to tempt you. Whenever he tries to clobber you with guilt because of squandered years or a messed up thing, something that is broken and can't be easily fixed, you have something to tell the gates of hell. I have the Christ, the Son of the living God in my heart, and that means I live with him forever and there's nothing you can do about it. 
You see, these keys of the kingdom of God are awesome defense. Satan roars with his temptations. He would love for us to be miserable in hell with him forever, but we have the Christ, the Son of the living God, and all of his hot air is just that, hot air. It doesn't do anything to us because of this saving confession. But not only is the key of the kingdom of heaven wonderful defense, it's also wonderful offense. To go and work with someone, get to know someone who is trapped today by their fears, trapped today in temptation, thinking perhaps that there's no other option because other than Jesus, there isn't, actually. You have the ability and the keys, the power from God himself, to go and talk to them about the Son of the living God, the Christ. And then the gates of hell will not overcome them. What an incredible opportunity we have to keep using the keys of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus gives us. First for ourselves, and then for others. Have you realized in the last few minutes how many times we've done that, even just today? We started our service with confessing our sins corporately as a group, and then came the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the announcement of the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has died, he has risen, he will come again. Your sins are forgiven. Now, that's where we stand. Then we sang a hymn, In Christ alone, my hope is found. Then you're hearing the sermon on Jesus from his holy scriptures that are eternal and stand firm in the heavens, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and the gates of hell will never overcome him or us when we are in him. Sometimes on Sunday morning we have Holy Communion. And for those of you who take Holy Communion, you get the body and blood of the Lord, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, to be assured your sins are forgiven, not just for a few minutes, but then it's a question mark, but forever. On Friday morning, here, we had a private baptism, Molly McCain, daughter of Andrew and Sarah. And the gates of hell will not overcome that announcement from God. You are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you belong to him for eternity. When we have a Bible study, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are, are opened. The gates of hell will not overcome it. When Sunday school teachers teach the kids a Bible story in Sunday school, and it's about Jesus and his forgiveness, or the children's message that I just had, that's the gates of hell cannot overcome that. Pretty soon, we're starting our 6th to 8th grade confirmation classes, and the kids and the parents will learn again about who Jesus is, the Christ, the Son of the living God. The gates of hell will not overcome it. Do you see how valuable this is? Do you see how it's in your hands? Not just for pastors or church leaders, higher-ups, but, but yours. It's in your hands to unlock the doors of heaven regularly, to be bolstered to stay there in what the gates of hell can never overcome. In Christ alone, our hope is found.
nothing less, nothing more, nothing else. We know your time is precious. Thank you so much for investing some of your time with us today. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you be so kind as to click to follow our show and give us a five-star rating? That's a quick and easy way to help us get the message of truth out to more people. Thank you so much. God bless your day in Christ.